Just before we get started, we'd like to warn you, there are some swear words in this episode, and we ain't, we ain't beeping them out. We just wanted you to know that in case your kids are listening, so explicit warning over, on with the show. Beep. I'm going to make them an awful gamble. I feel the need, the need for speed. He's watched every movie more than once. He's Stephen Fennec. Go ahead. Make my day. He's watched the latest Disney movies with his kids, uh, but that's about it. He's Trevor Long. You talking to me? Together, they bring you the best movies you've never seen. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Rent BioStream, the latest and greatest movies on Fetch. Watch on a big screen Hisense TV. The best movies you've never seen. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. With Stephen Fennick and Trevor Long. This is the captain. Brace for impact. Hello and welcome to The Best Movies You've Never Seen. This is a podcast where I, Stephen Fennec, a dedicated movie nerd, watch a movie with my good mate Trevor Long, who's never seen the film. I've watched this movie many, many times. Trevor, it's his first go at it. Trevor, welcome to the show. We actually should do that one day. We should actually sit and watch one of them. We will. No, we will. I think one of the next ones that's at the, you know, clearly at the top of your list, because you've got a long okay. list. I do. But when we really peak to the top of that list, I think we should sit in the Tech Guide Theatre and, you know, maybe you can see my gasps as they happen. We'll have to have some cameras. We'll have to be like, yes. a little bit like Gogglebox. It'll be a Gogglebox. Yes. A Gogglebox show. Definitely video involved. Well, this week we are talking about The Martian starring Matt Damon. It was released in 2015 and directed by Ridley Scott. That's the same Ridley Scott who directed Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, among many other movies. And it was also based on the Andy Weir novel, which, guess what, Trev? It's called The Master. Oh, you read. I've read it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing about Stephen, people, you've got to understand. I don't know how... You have time. I mean, back when you were a rugby league player, back when you were a, editor, a sports editor at the telly, or even now, I don't know how you have time for all this. I really don't. But anyway, you've read every book, you've seen every movie, la di da di da. I haven't. Okay. Well, that's that's the reason we've got this show. So if it wasn't for your lack of effort, we wouldn't have a show. So, so my lack of effort in life has led us to this point. Bravo, oh, man. Well, yeah, it's, it's paid off for you. Let's go. <laughs> Let's just say that. So you have seen bits of this movie is this a plain movie for you or have you have seen parts of it or the whole thing tell us i'll get to the full detail of this after we've gone past the freeway exit but okay so this was like a reference movie for me Uh, it was one of the first movies i received on 4k blu-ray back when they first came out and i used to then use it 
as a reference uh, shot on reviewing 4K TVs, you know, how good's the detail, the color, because, you know, it's a very unique set of colors in it and stuff like that. Here's the tip, though. I've never watched it in full. <laughs> in watching, so I'm si- I, when, when this was on the list and I'm, I'm ready, um, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't remember it, so it'll be good. But it got to a point in the movie, which we'll get to, and I went, I've never seen it from here. <laughs> You've, so I read the first chapter of a That's book. That's how much okay. of a reference movie it was for me. <laughs> I was just using it for blips and blobs and yeah. scenes, and that's it. Well, good to see that uh, you you watched a part of it anyway. But we are uh, this is the the movie because of the it was based on Andy Weir's book, which was a which was a best selling book. Uh, it, there were a lot of expectations around when it was announced it was going to be made into a film. There was a lot of excitement, but then on top of that, they said directed by Ridley Scott and starring Matt Damon. So ho- hello, Boom. a lot, a lot of expectations were there. Now this was nominated for seven Oscars. Wow, won none of them. Nominated for Best Picture, which was won by Spotlight. Best Actor, for Matt Damon. The award went to Leonardo DiCaprio. It was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, Best Visual Effects. And best production design, but nominees only, but no awards. No Even Academy the amount awards. of airtime yeah. that Matt Damon has in this movie, how do you not win best actor for that? Well, here have a listen to this bit of controversy though. It won Golden Globes. And the controversy around that was the category it was in. Because back then the Golden Globes had were TV and movies, and the movies had different categories. Right. So would you believe the Martian won Best Motion Picture at the Golden Globes and in the category Comedy or Musical. You what now? <laughs> so, and, and Matt Damon won Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical for The Martian as well. So it was... On what planet, well, pardon the pun, <laughs> is this a comedy? <laughs> on what planet? Well, on Mars apparently, but... The, wow. There was a lot of criticism after this, so massive controversy. So it was – and I think the reason there was a bit of canny uh, little sort of positioning of the movie, what had happened, the producers decided to submit The Martian as a comedy just so it doesn't face the strong competition in the category. There was a really strong uh. year where there was a lot, a lot of dramas and everything. So, But what ended up happening, though, there was such a, such a kerfuffle over it that they decided to change the rules. So they, they now, uh, you can now only enter dramas as dramas and not comedy. So they, there was a little loophole that they exploited there. Nice. We're about to dive into the movie. And if you haven't seen The Martian, we are going to spoil the hell out of it for you. But if you, so if you haven't seen it, our advice is to get away and watch it on Fetch. And if you haven't got a Fetch box, you can get them from your internet provider if they make it available on a, like a monthly subscription. Or you can go to your major retailers in Australia like uh, Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi and others and buy them direct. You can get the Fetch Mini, simple little set-top box uh, with no hard drive storage. It's just all about the cloud with all your streaming solutions, but also voice search, universal search. And universal search comes in beautifully handy when you're talking about movies, because you can search for a movie and find out where it's available to watch. Is it available on a st- streaming service you subscribe to, or is it something you can rent or buy on st- on on Fetch? And I did that uh, right here. I went and uh, I, I bought this one on Fetch because I thought I, I'm definitely going to use it again. And, uh, yep, available there uh, among thousands and thousands of other movies. So if you haven't got Fetch, look into it now, and you can enjoy, like us, the best movies I've never seen.
good idea that you bought it because you can use it as your reference movie. Boom. See, I don't have to rig up all the cables and everything again. Exactly right. So, okay, you've seen The Martian finally all the way through. So tell me your impressions after your first full watch. I really enjoyed this movie because I am a bit of a space nerd a little bit because my daughter's all quite into into space. Uh-huh. Um, not quite as much as you, Mr. Astrophotography. But um, the concept of space travel it has always been something, you know, growing up, you, you know, you watched moon, uh, moon travel and all that kind of stuff. But now that we're in this kind of race to Mars, this is even more relevant. And so for that reason, I loved it because the concept of how long it takes to get there, the the potential for things to go wrong and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a great story. And I'm sure you're going to fill me with plot holes deluxe, right? Because I'm sitting there watching and thinking, that's a bit weird. This is a bit weird, you know. But I enjoyed watching this as a, just as a a piece of entertainment and storytelling, not worrying about those kind of plot holey things. Because it's fascinating to think about a, you know, a story arc of a guy that, you know, um, is, is trapped on a planet. You know, I really loved it. Good movie. Yeah, there are. Uh, I will say there are some little plot holy things, but it's really um, the, the the it's it's still quite factually accurate. Like in terms of the science behind it, mo- like ninety percent of it is actually quite accurate. And a lot a lot of uh, a lot of astrophysicists and astronauts have actually commented on that on that fact. Right. Uh, I saw this in the cinema. Funny enough, uh, surprise, surprise. After I'd read the book, and or, or I always when I read the book. It was such a great read. I'm thinking this would make a sensational movie, and lo and behold, that's exactly what they did. And I was there. I think opening day, I saw this in the cinemas. Let's take a look at the cast, though, Trev. Pretty solid mm. cast here. Cracking Matt cast. Damon. Matt Damon, who plays Mark Watney. Uh, he, of course, he's uh, was in Goodwill Hunting, Ocean's Eleven, the Jason Bourne franchise, and a movie I reckon you might have seen recently: Ford versus Ferrari. Have you seen yes. that movie? Yes, I yeah, did. So he stars with Christian Bale, who was our man out of uh, American Psycho. So you have seen that movie. Co-star Jessica Chastain. She played Commander Melissa Lewis. She was in Zero Dark Thirty. Molly, Molly's Game, great movie, written and directed by uh, our man Aaron Sorkin. That we'll, we'll be doing that on the show. She was also in, Inter- in Interstellar. Did you recognize Jeff Daniels as the head of yes. NASA, Teddy Sanders? He was in the film Steve Jobs. He was also in the newsroom, newsroom, written by our man Sorkin as well, and he was also, he also in Dumb and Dumber. Just shows his range as an actor. <laughs> uh, Sean Bean uh, plays Mitch Henderson, and he's got a pretty solid resume. He was in Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, also in a really handy movie called Ronan, with uh, co-starring opposite Robert De Niro, which uh, mm. I think we'll get around to watching together as well. But this is this was another movie that had a really stellar uh, supporting cast as well. And like, I don't know whether you knew these actors. There was Christian Christian Wig. She's like a comedian. She's like on Saturday Night Live. She was in mm. Ghostbusters. And she was in uh, the uh, Bridesmaids film as well. Michael Pena, he's been in. If you see his face, you, you would have seen him in a lot of movies. If you remember his face, he's been in heaps of other movies. Kate Mara, Sebastian Stan, who's been in a few uh, in a few Marvel films. Chiwetel Ejiofor, Academy Award nominated actor. Uh, he plays the the guy at NASA who's kind of the go between the scientists and the and the astronaut and, and and Mark Watney. Did you notice though, Trev, a familiar face in the supporting cast? A a, a man, a, a, an actor who was in a TV show that we both like. Oh, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. I did not notice Jason's. Did, did, no, no, Jason Sudeikis isn't in it. Oh, but right. The show I'm talking about is Ted Lasso. 
Nick Oh, Mahatma. yeah, Nate. Nate. Nate was in it. Yes. 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 And it was a very different character. So it was like, oh, it yeah. didn't really look like him. Yes, you're and right. American accent and everything in it too. So I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you. You know you what were. I loved about the way they, the credits rolled on this was, and this is, this works for me because my visual kind of representation of things, a list is not good enough for me. They, they showed shots of all the, of the actors and they put their name up. I really love the way they do that because, and I think yeah, they I should see. always do that because it it helps you identify a person. Oh, I think that's a really good way to a few movies to credit a cast. I'll tell you a really good movie that does it. Another favourite of mine, Predator. Predator does that at the okay. end of the movie. That's got Arnold Schwarzenegger and all the other actors in it. It does a really good job of that. So, who plays form. Vincent in this? The the guy at NASA because it it kind of it came up as if that this was his first role. It said an introduce. It was like the last one in the credits, and it said, and I think it said like introducing, and although that's that's a pretty cool incident. Uh, you know, the, the 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 guy Chua- that was had to go to the the uh, jet propulsion lab and uh, you know, sorry, Chuatel Edgefor. Yeah, there he's okay. um, he was in Twelve Years a Slave. He's uh, British British actor. He was also in Love Actually. Uh, that okay. was one of his earlier roles as well. Well, before we dive into the memorable scenes, we want you to have a memorable experience, and the way you can do that is with a High Sense TV. High Sense are our great sponsors of the best movies you've never seen. And if you want to experience a movie on a grand scale, it's a great idea to invest in a high sense TV. And you know what? You got to go big. Go big or go home. A friend of mine was gonna, was looking at a seventy five inch high sense TV, and I said, you know what? You got to go the whole way. You got to go eighty five. And you know what? He said, best thing he ever did. Yes. He said to me, Steve, that was a great call. I'm not, I, you're never ever going to say, you know what? That TV's too big. It's got the ULED technology. It's got a great VDAR operating system as well. So really easy to find your content. Easy to call up all these movies. That they'll come up in your recommendations. All your streaming services are there. And it's great quality. You can choose a 4K TV. And if you want to go up to an 8K TV, you'll see just tremendous picture quality. And also great audio quality too. There's Dolby Atmos built into the TV. So you can experience the movie as you would in the cinema. So check them out, highsense.com.au. Now, let's jump in, mate, and I think this is a kind of a movie that really gets going from the start, don't you reckon? It's yeah, like, I mean, it's, 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 it's on. Really, it's really, it's sort of off, off, at, off at a pace. It uh, hits, hits the ground running, and we see the, the first scene is the, is the cruise on Mars. They're sort of, they're in the hab. There's a storm approaching, and they decide that, you know what? This storm is just too strong that they need to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And on the on their way out, uh, a nasty little accident occurs. Angry with the rover! Warning! Before we lost telemetry, his decompression alarm went off. Yo, Watson, where'd you have He's offline, I can't, I don't know where he is. What are the vitals on his suit? He's offline. Negative, He's complete offline. loss of signal on Watney. Bitch, yeah. How long could he survive decompression? Less than a minute. He may be prone, we don't want to step over him. Commander, Warning. we're at 10.5 degrees. Excessive tilt. Tilting to 11 Warning. with all the gusts of wind. Copy that. So, right, right off the it's bat, it's a great scene. It's yeah, very it intense. The whole, the whole dilemma, wasn't it? So they're all mm. thinking, well, is he gone? They're saying, look, you know, reality is here. There were no vital signs, and they had to leave. They had to leave. This it is where you learn that they've got this amazing technology in the suits that that not just you know keep them going, but 
gives them, uh, you know, a telemetry. Uh, every each one and the and the essentially the base knows how each of them is performing, and they get a notice that his suit's been breached. They get a notice that they've lost contact, and that's basically the end for him. Because like you lose, yeah. as you say, you lose compression up there, you you're gone. And so was, that's, this, this is one of those really tough moments for the commander. It's like, well, look, you know, she's yeah. being told the ships they got this in this rocket. It's standing up, and you're like, it's going to fall over. Mm-hmm. He does all he can, which is awesome. It's one of those first moments of problem solving, which becomes a big theme of the whole movie. He's like, I'm, I can do this and I can do that, but in the end, we got to go. Yeah, and there was a there was this really there was this really poignant shot of they're all strapped in and and taking off, and then there's a, this little empty seat next to one of yeah. the astronauts. So you're thinking, oh god, they've just left this guy behind. And it actually took uh, me a minute to work out that it was the Matt Damon character that was in that incident. Like I felt like. Yeah, it wasn't quite obvious to me straight away, but you know, it's not it's not long before you realise that. And it, it sort of it, it's they obviously they leave. They assume he's dead. Word gets through on Earth, and it's announced that uh, Watney was killed, and the crew though is heading home in the Hermes. But one theme that keeps recurring, and we'll talk about this in the other scenes to come, is that they when they weren't told straight away that he was still mm. alive. I think they were concerned about that, but we'll talk more about that. But that that is that is the next memorable scene is we discover that he's alive. You see that sort of the, the sort of shot sort of zooming in on him covered in dust. We we find out that he was stabbed with that little metal rod that actually saved his life. That rod, it sort of it hit it went through his suit, but he says blood, in one of his diary entries it must have yeah. it must have pierced, it must have broken the the circuitry for the diagnostics yeah, as so. it went through his suit and and stabbed him. Uh, which is a really good explanation of why, like, it's a nice little wrapping up of, hang on a minute, but they think he's dead. Why do they think he's dead? Wherein he's alive. So, you know, the circuitry's broken, stuff like that. But that's the scene that I that I use as a reference, which is why I obviously don't see the whole movie, because it's this early in the scene where I go, it's just this really beautiful landscape. It's this orange dust. It's, you know, it's it's lighter than sand yeah, flowing over him. It's it, There's a lot of detail in it. If you look yeah. closely on the... You know, high resolution um, version of this on a really good screen. There is so much detail in the suit, in the in the dust. It's it's fantastic. It is. It is that granular detail that you pick up in 4K too. That's awesome. But I think he, he goes back to the hab and then he removes that. Remember, he removed the piece of metal from his stomach yeah. at the mirror. That's, Are you squeamish like that? Did you watch that? I'm or? not squeamish in the sense that I can't watch, but it. I look at that. And I want to be on the. I want to know how they do that. Yeah, it's remarkable how real that is. I'd say that was a fake stomach, don't you reckon? Well, there's no way he's cutting himself. Yeah. So I mean, you know, but 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 the thing is, here's a guy with his shirt off, and you think, like, the, the makeup team is remarkable that they can create that that so that he can literally pierce something so it bleeds yeah. and he can pull. It's and it, it, you think, what are you doing, mate? You've pulled the th- thing out, just stitch yourself up. But no, he knows there's another piece in there. He pulls it out and he puts it up against the piece that he pulled out and he goes, right, that's all, that's all of it. And yes. then he, then he staples check. himself together. You had to check really it none left in his body. Yeah. yeah. Right. Once he gets over that though, he, he then obviously he's his first diary entry and he, and he comes to a bit of a realization. I have no way to contact NASA. And even if I could, it's going to be four years until a manned mission can reach me. And I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. If the oxygenator breaks, I'm going to suffocate. If the water reclaimer breaks, I'll die of thirst. If the hab breaches, I'm just going to kind of implode. And if by some miracle none of that happens, eventually I'm going to run out of food. So, yeah. 
So that's a pretty solid realization yeah. about what he what he what's ahead of him. And yeah, four years. He knows already that there's four yes. years for the next mission. And so this is this is very out. factual because you know that at NASA, and this is from watching any kind of space movie of legitimacy, Apollo movies and stuff like that, that it's all planned out. You know, there's there's a mission this year, there's a mission that year, and especially with Mars, it's such a distance. They've got supply missions, crew missions. You know, it's all planned out. So he knows Aries one, two, three, four, five. He knows all the missions, and that's why he goes, man, I am stuck here you know it's not like he can call an uber but i think what i like early on and and in the next scene he says he makes the decision he says i'm not going to die here he says oh this is what's going to happen and then he starts doing the math he realizes that uh he's he counts his rations it's a great scene where he pulls all the boxes out and just starts counting stuff right and he's sort of writing it down on on a on a pad but then he he does we we do discover though what he actually what he does our service mission here was supposed to last 31 souls for redundancy they sent 68 souls worth of food that's for six people so for just me that's going to last 300 souls which i figure i can stretch to 400 if i ration so i got to figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here on a planet where nothing grows luckily i'm a botanist it's great that's handy the the thing is and i know it was entered as a comedy and that's not at all true but there are moments where you just go yes and you have a big smile because it's like yeah he's a botanist this is this is this is his gig it's like he was born for this obviously you wouldn't wish it upon anyone but this is a this is a great yeah like sequence isn't it you know because he 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 just starts getting he just starts ripping the place apart and going yeah, right what have I got he prepares the hab yeah he, what are the you know there's a moment where yeah. he takes a dump he goes to the toilet and you know they they show like a computerized toilet that you know knows whose sample it is going away and it gets whooshed away like an airplane toilet but that then you realize that he's yeah. going to use that waste as part of the soil that he's going to create it's just you can even That's though they don't secret, speak yeah. much of it explicitly you, you can really piece it together i i mentioned to you i think last week or even on a, on one of our other shows that i wouldn't mind watching this with my daughter and i definitely want to now because now that i've watched it the swearing's not enough for me to be concerned about and i think that you know if she wants to be an astronaut she needs to know that you know this kind of stuff's going to go down it's fascinating it's such a great thing about problem solving about learning yeah. and about oh man oh, it's just such a great lesson really this is the first sequence we see him in action too there's there's there are a lot of, there are long stretches of this movie where there's no there's no talking it's that's just right him doing stuff well he's by himself that kind of adds to that but mm. uh this is we see him preparing the hab to grow food he brings in the soil uh and he but he's 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 preparing the soil he knows what he has to do but he has to he needs water yes and he says well you know what i know the recipe hydrogen oxygen and this is, I quite love this scene when he finally got it to work, but this little thing happened. Luckily, in the history of humanity, nothing bad has ever happened from <laughs> lighting hydrogen on fire. NASA hates fire because of the whole fire makes everybody die in space thing. So everything they sent us up here with is flame retardant, with the notable exception of martinez's personal items i am sorry martinez but if you didn't want me to go through your stuff you shouldn't have left me for dead on a desolate planet by the way i'm figuring you're going to be fine with this given my present situation 
boom. I like how he goes, woo, and then he blows up. There's there's a couple of great things about that. And the first one is he's looking at this crucifix. It's a wooden crucifix with a metal, you know, Jesus on it. And he's talking to his diary, but also to the crucifix. And it's where he, you know, he turned, that's where he says, I'm assuming you're right. He's speaking to God there where he says, I assume you're okay with me desecrating this crucifix to create essentially life. Um, and as you say, that the moment where he goes, yes, and at the exact oh, moment it explodes. So that good. Great. That was great. He gets thrown across the hab. Yeah. But uh, he he says in the in the following scene he says that he forgot to account for the oxygen he was exhaling I, yeah. as if that made a difference I don't know but in the book I should mention too that he's not only a botanist but he's also an engineer that kind of accounts for the fact that he's ah, right. pretty savvy with all this stuff but you know being right. a botanist and engineer two pretty good skills to have if well, I just put it together that every what I you know reasoned in my head was you've got different roles you know a botanist or whatever whatever but. To be an astronaut, you just not that's not you don't just wait and just fly up there and go, right, I'll look at the plants yeah. now. You gotta know everything, which is why, you know, he knew knew so much about how to, you know, drive the rover and all those different things. Because yeah. you're trained for years pretty handy. for that mission. Handy guy to have around. But uh we we see though on Sol fifty four, which is that that Sol is what they call a day on Mars, as you probably worked that out pretty quickly. Uh, he sees the first sprout appearing on Sol 54, and meanwhile, back on Earth, they're having a memorial service for him. So they still think he's dead. No one knows he's alive yet. Yeah. But they in the next scene, the next memorable scene is Houston actually discovering that there was a bit of movement there. Remember, they saw that. Yeah, the, uh, the road they noticed from satellite vision. They're the like, satellite, why the panels were? Why dust has stuff off? moved? And yes, because there was a scene where he's blowing uh, the the solar panels to clean them, because obviously the cleaner they are, the more efficient they are. And they notice these intricate changes, and therefore he's alive. But the big question they're now having at a kind of executive management level is: Do we tell the crew? Yeah. Well, this this comes up. This is with the moment they find out. How sure? Hundred percent. Solar panels have been cleaned. It could have been cleaned by wind. Back it up. Look at Rover Two. According to the logs, Commander Lewis took it out. Sol Seventeen plugged it into the hab to recharge. It's been moved. Why don't we just ask Lewis? Let's get on Capcom and ask her directly right now. No, no. If Watney is really alive, we don't want the Ares 3 crew to know. How, how can you not tell them? They have another 10 months on their trip home. So the, the concern already from from um, Teddy Sanders is the fact that they've, they he doesn't want the crew distracted by this news. And the, mm. you know, we haven't even spoken about a rescue plan yet. So his concern was for the the uh, the astronauts that are also still alive and on their way back to Earth. So and it's a fascinating kind of story of management, really, frankly, in business, where it's genius because different people are in different positions for different reasons, right? And this guy Teddy is in charge of the space program because he's in charge of the whole thing. He's not in charge of one person, and so his immediate thought is, I can't let the other astronauts have their mission compromised by their their minds not being straight. He's thinking if we tell them he's alive, their minds will not be focused because if something happens, which can happen in space, they need to be focused. So that's what he's thinking. And I think, I actually think that's brilliant management. I think it's a great, it's a great thing to observe and it's a good debate to have. But he, he does come, he does come under fire though from the other people, which we'll get to in the next scene. But yeah, of course, in, in the meantime, there's also, because they're speculating on his travels. They're thinking, where is he going in the hab? He mm. keeps going. Mm. And where he goes, he, he goes to where they buried the plutonium. Remember, he brings <laughs> plutonium back. He needs a power source. So he brings that. 
And again, really funny scene where he described, yeah, sure, this thing is uh, it's, it's rapidly decaying and it's, it could be powerful than a nuclear bomb, but yeah, I'm going to have it in the in the rave with He's me. He's going to sit it there to keep him warm. That's what it was. It was just a plutonium source like that is just hot. And so it's, it's his heat source. It's crazy. So uh, after the news that Mark Watney is alive, I think they have a press mm. conference and they think, yep. what are we going to do? Then the speculation starts uh, about how to, how to get him back. Let's assume Miss Park didn't miss anything, so Mark's not going to Ares 4 yet. But he's smart enough to figure out that's his only chance. Bruce, what's the earliest we can get a pre-supply there? Well, with the positions of Earth and Mars, it'll take nine months. It'll take six months to build it in the first place. Three months. Three? You're going to say it's impossible, and then I'm going to make a speech about the blinding capabilities of the JPL team, and then you're going to do the math in your head and say something like the overtime alone will be a nightmare. The overtime alone will be a nightmare. (laughs) Get started. I'll find you the money. So immediately they think, right, we're going to have to do the impossible here. But Mitch, who's the the, the Irish dude who was in Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, he's always the one sort of saying that, the crew needs to know, and he, he's he, on the side of the crew. He yeah. makes that he makes that pretty clear. We need to tell the crew, Mitch. We've discussed this. No, you discussed this. I'm the one who decides what's best for the crew. I deserve to know. Once there's a real rescue plan, we'll tell them. Otherwise, it's moot. Bruce has three months to get the payload done. That's all that matters right now. We'll do our best. Mark dies if you don't. So up to this point, there's still no – they know he's alive, but they still haven't contacted him yet. So That's right. And they're also, they've also done those same calculations that he did early on going, they've got this many rations, and they've gone – you know, he can live to a certain point, which is why they're thinking we've got a supply mission. We've got a, they've built a window where they think they can get supplies there based on what's – they don't know he's trying to farm, which is really cool. Well, that, that, that's, the, that's the next thing we see. We finally see – well. The, can we say the fruit of his labor? <laughs> it's been 48 souls since I planted the potatoes, so now it's time to reap and re-sow. They grew even better than I expected. I now have 400 healthy potato plants. I dug them up, being careful to leave their plants alive. The smaller ones I'll reseed. The larger ones are my food supply. All natural, organic, Martian-grown potatoes. You don't hear that every day, do you? <laughs> so he's 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 done the job there. He's got plenty of food. So he he calculated that he's got all these other rations that because yeah there were six people and now he's there by himself. So I think he's going to be mixing and matching a potato, yeah. maybe it's a sweet and sour. It's going to be uh, a very carb heavy diet for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah he, he's going to be a little bit uh, carb overloaded right there. But uh, again, what I like th- about this next scene is sort of his ingenuity is is yeah. just never ends. And, and this this shows his. Uh, you know, inherent knowledge of the space program of the journey to Mars for NASA, because, you know, the journey to Mars, even today, is so much more than just, you know, Elon Musk sending uh, SpaceX up there. It's, you know, Curiosity rover, there's different rovers up there. And this is where he goes. And and you don't know what he's doing until he gets there and he pulls it out. But he's retrieving one of the one of the previous rovers, which has been buried by dust and sand, because the rover has communication capabilities back to Earth. Because obviously when a rover's here, yeah. it's sending images and data back. And, he, yeah, he, he's got the camera working and he works out, well, how the hell am I supposed to 
communicate and then he works out because the, the camera can spin in a circle and stop at certain increments. So he decides that he needs the hexadecimal alphabet. It's also brilliant, but even before this, where back on Earth, the JPL and the NASA team work out that's exactly what he's doing. And then... They've got the you know the 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 Earth mock-up version of that that rover, and they they dust it off and power it up, and they do the same thing. It's it's such a cool thing. I mean, and this is the bit that I don't see any plot hole with. I see this as being such a fantastic storyline. Yeah. It's really in terms clever. of how to communicate with someone on another planet. So, so when he when he, he his original hack was to have the camera point to the you know the a sign or to the hexadecimal alphabet. But then they provide him with a line of code, remember, so that he can hack yeah. the Pathfinder, so that he can type messages. And now suddenly, they're tapping. It's like a text message they can send each other. So then they're, they're now communicating. And one of the first questions he asked, remember, though, was, "What did the crew say when they found out I was alive?" Mm. And he's. They said when when he was told, "Well, they haven't found out yet." His response was, "What the fuck? Come on, why why haven't they been told?" So yes. It, it's it, also it, a cool because they're like, Mark, this is being broadcast yeah, live. Well, that's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little bit embarrassing. It would be right. Imagine yeah, this. Yeah. Just imagine this story today. Yeah. Oh, it yeah, would be, cool. mate, CNN and Sky, they would just, they would oh, palm off a whole channel. It would be 24-7 on a channel for months. Yeah, totally right. So it does come time, though, to tell the crew. And, and don't forget that it's now been four months after they've left Mars. And Mitchell uh, actually gets his way and he's able to tell the crew. Hi, hello, it's, uh, it's Mitch, Mitch Henderson. I have some news. There's no uh, subtle way to put this. Mark Watney is still alive. Oh, my God. I know that's a surprise, and uh, I know you'll have a lot of questions, but uh, here are the basics. He's he's alive and he's healthy. We uh, we found out two months ago and uh, decided not to tell oh you. God. Two months. Oh my God. I was strongly against that decision. We're telling you now because we finally have communication with him and a viable rescue plan. So now no, the the ball's in motion. Their crew, and you heard the reaction of the crew. They were really disappointed that it was months ago that they knew he was yeah. alive, and so they were they were thinking, well, you know, we should have been we should have found out earlier. So, and that comes into play later on when they all decide unanimously to go back and rescue him. But in the meantime, though, Mark is still he's still cracking away on 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 Mars. I love this scene where he goes, "I'm the greatest botanist on this planet." Mars will fear my botany powers. And is this also around about when, because there's this communication been created, and I might be skipping forward here, but I think uh, at one of the universities or his old university tells him that, you know, the first person to create life on a planet, it's officially colonised. Yes, so yes, so you know, he officially has colonised Mars. <laughs> I think, yeah, you've got to grow crops on a, on yes. a, on the, on the, on the play in the place you are. And that means you've officially colonized it, but he eventually takes his photo. Remember he was watching, remember, um, Commander Lewis's, uh, she had all the disco music yeah. and all these old TV shows. And he was watching, there were scenes of, he was watching happy days. So when he comes time to take the photo, did you notice this? And he does a Fonz pose. He went, hey, you know, with his thumbs up. So how's that? The PR, typical PR thinking, well, that's not a good photo. We <laughs> a photo that. So uh, that was quite funny that they did that. But 
the 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 next scene though is it that funny because no. it's when the airlock blows up and the this he, he says his suit breach is detected and all the crops are ruined so all, all the remember he had his 400 potatoes from before but all the plants have been the, the vacuum came in and 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 ruined everything and then he had to rebuild the hab almost from scratch. He had to put it back together again, had to seal it with plastic and all that. So it was kind of back to square one with mm. this, with this, in this situation. So the, the decision now was that, that they, 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 they want to reach Mark with supplies. So, so the, the, the Hermes is still coming home as, 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 as ordered. But they're deciding we need to send him supplies, and they decide to cooperate with China. Remember this scene where they've yeah. got all the supplies there, and the rocket takes off. But as is typical, uh, little little story, little story twist is that <laughs> the rocket blows up, and they think, look, all hopes lost here. And then they they remind them that they actually do have China tells them about their spare boosters they have, so they can actually relaunch. Yeah. And this is kind of then where the all the brains of the uh, of NASA are, are all working at their at their top level, and we meet young Rich Parnell. Remember, yes, he he's you see, I think the scene was him. He's, he's plugged into a supercomputer, and he's working out calculations. I think he's the head of astrodynamics or something. And then he he finally reveals that he's got a plan to save them. Right now, the Hermes is headed towards you, starting its month-long deceleration to intercept. But instead, what I'm proposing is we start accelerating immediately to preserve velocity and gain even more. We don't intercept with Earth at all, but we come close enough to get a gravity assist and adjust course. While we're doing that, you resupply with the probe. The Taiyang Shen. Pick up whatever provisions we need, and now we're accelerating towards Mars. <sighs> You're Mars. Now we're going too fast at this point to fall into orbit, but we can do a flyby. So that was pretty elaborate plan that he said, oh, look, all the calculations. It's not at all what you expect. Like yeah. when so- when because it's a weird thing with him and his little plan. He freaks out, he's fallen over because he realizes it and stuff. I don't think you would ever have guessed that was his plan. And it's it's so funny because the boss of NASA, Ted, Jeff Daniels, is so annoyed by this guy. He's like, dude, he you want, us, who, who are you again? He goes, uh, you, you want me to play a prop in your little demonstration here? He does it. But it's just like, you know, he's this junior, a smart you know, genius, but just taking the piss with the the boss of the joint it's very very well done the one thing i want to say and this again i don't i don't know where you go with all your notes and things but there's there's a lot of moments in the hermes where you've got these anti gravity zero gravity moments right where they're flying around and stuff and then there's these moments where they're walking around and I'm trying to understand are those walking around bits when the thing is spinning, you yeah, know, those so there's, spinning there's, parts of it? Central, they create, they essentially yeah. create some sort of gravitational force? Sort of artificial gravity, yeah. That's sort of like a, the, the, the spinning part of the of the the ship creates this artificial gravity. It's like a centrifugal force sort of works. And okay. I don't know if that's actually scientifically possible, but that's kind of the concept. It's just a very similar thing that they had in the classic sci-fi movie uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. That was a very similar uh, right. Stanley Kubrick filmed it so that you can actually see the person walking the entire uh, the, the entire circumference of the inner circle, and it's really, really right. well done. It just it just struck me a, as a strange, yeah. you know, 
all these scenes are them either just sitting at a table, um, floating in midair, or walking around. I'm like, make up your mind. <laughs> yeah, I think they uh, that that was, uh, it, and it, I think what that crowded too was the opportunity to film them. If you imagine if they're floating the whole time, it's not going to be they're not going to get a lot of work done. So yeah. the, there was an option to film them sitting and talking and 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 just different rather than having the same thing all the time. But in the well, after Rich Parnell uh, outlay lays out his plan. They've they've deciding well they've still the Hermes has still got to accept the role they accept the mission because it's gonna it's gonna mean another five hundred and forty three days yeah. on their mission that that's that's a year and a half so they they all decide instantly that uh, they're into it so and but the the news of the news of um of the plan is actually leaked to them remember they 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 somehow find out about it and they so they kind of make up their own mind. Because if they're ordered, if they were ordered not to do it, they had and they discussed this. They or had the power to do their own thing. So it's kind of like a mutiny. They could have staged yeah. a mutiny, but eventually they all they all agree yes, and they the crew make their own decision. Because I think Mitch Mitch leaked it to them that 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 this plan. Remember, he told them the crew was alive. Yes, and because to be Mitch clear, boss it. of NASA says no. Yeah. We're not doing it. He doesn't but, want him to change the crew. It's more important to bring home the other, the remaining astronauts, than than risk them all to save one. And it's it's Mitch leaking that plan that allows them to make that plan action without NASA's NASA's authority. And once they do that, NASA's on board and they have to go yeah. ahead. With and it. and that well, they made the decision. They're all on board. And so here's where the story sort of uh, sort of goes in in sort of two separate parts. The part By the way, at this point, I am flying blind. Like it's. It's basically, you know, in the last 15, 20 minutes of this movie that I'm completely blind now. Oh, this is new to me. Well, the whole, the, 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 so the, the two, the two storylines now is Watney realizes that he's, cause yeah, they're communicating with him. They tell him that there's a rescue mission on its way. He realizes he's got to get to Ares 4, which is like, t- takes months to get there. Yeah. So he had to go set out on his, on his journey, leave the hab behind and the spare Chinese rocket in the meantime is now being launched to supply, uh, to resupply the Hermes, uh, who is now back and collected the, the supplies and they're on their way back. Now, here's the, the scene in the movie where some time's elapsed. I think it's seven months later, it says. So this has given the Hermes time to come back to Mars. Yeah. It's also, you see, did you notice how thin? Yes. Uh, well, this had- is the point where I go, about time, because... Seven, you talk about a, a quick skip of time there, but even all that other stuff that we've just talked about is many, many, many months like of of back and forth. And and he doesn't, doesn't really age or lose weight or anything in that time. So but but I guess the other part of it is he's lost his crops in that incident. Yeah. So it's he's obviously much. now re rationing, so he's eating less. Um, he's also probably giving up a bit of hope, even though there's a plan. So you let yourself go, you stop shaving. So I think it's a reflection not only of the diet regime, but also his mental uh, fitness at that point. So where he has to go, he has to go to the Scaparelli crater, which is where Ares 4 is what was. And uh, he, he the journey involved him. Remember, he had to stop and charge the... Re- yeah. This is described really well in the book, how he has to stop for 13 hours to... Tr- 
lay the panels out, charge the the Mav, the uh, the the rover, and then continue along his way. So it was. He'd worked it all out. He'd worked out that he where he had to go is to the Scaparelli crater. And, and again, here is a bit of time. Some time passes. Like he starts charging. Uh, he starts on his way. I think Sol four ninety four. Then the next thing you see is Sol five one seven. And so then you, you you can see that they're approaching. Time is passing. He's hanging on, and he arrives at the Scaparelli crater at Sol five hundred and thirty eight. And so this is the point too where he realizes, right, for me to reach escape velocity uh, from Mars, they had to strip down the the ship. Mm. Do you remember they were throwing away the the actual yes. nose cone of the ship yeah. and the control panel? He goes, yeah, they were going to control it remotely from the Hermes. So he was he. I think the line he used was, "I'm basically going to ride a convertible into space." Is is what he had to do. <laughs> so he starts stripping the ship. There was another good little um, a little um, montage of him doing all that. The Meanwhile, moment this, I'll, I'll be honest, the biggest. This is my biggest plot hole. Okay, so he arrives at the Scaparelli crater, and you see the Mav. Standing there, and this is this rocket ship that's ready for, you know, boosting the, the air, future trip, yeah, yeah, future trips, etc. Mate, the very start of this movie is intrinsically linked to the fact that one of those is standing there and he's going to fall over if they don't blast off and leave the planet. That was how does that thing that, not that fall was... over in five hundred and thirty-eight souls? It hasn't hit a storm big enough to push it over. That was in my plot holes. So um, I'm glad it, I picked I that did. then. I did say in, in the takeoff scene at the beginning, it appears that the strong winds can easily tip it over. So it seems uh, unlikely that a second Mav would remain standing. Either that or they should have set the first body hab up at the Scaparelli crater because it's better weather. Maybe. Maybe. maybe or, or that was just a look. Because don't forget, he travelled a fair distance. So it could be, yeah, it could be a plot hole, but it could be that he was far enough away for the storm not to have hit. It was just blind luck. Maybe that's how they explained the this potential plot hole that you've uncovered. Yeah, I'd there, design better rockets, though, if I was there, <laughs> more stable. Absolutely right. So, okay, it's now time for him to get the hell out of there. So he's now in the he's in the ship. He's stripped it down. He's in his spacesuit, and he's about to take off. They're they're approaching, and you noticed you mentioned it before. If this if this actually happened in reality, it would be a world event, and this is exactly what. Was happening. Yeah, people were following awesome. it live. There were Times Square was packed full of people. It was up on the big screen. CNN was covering it, so it did become one of those world events. And so we're up to now the rescue. And I thought that this was really well this done. This, this great, whole sequence. So well. There's a lot of it that you go, hang on a minute, whatever. But I, I just think as a script, as a movie, as an execution, I loved it. It's a yeah, really good set, set of scenes, and yet still maintains its its humor as well. The because remember the suggestion when because they had to work out how to they were working out how fast they were traveling. They were going too fast close, and they were too far away. Yeah, so they had to work out how close he was going to be. But then he has he also he has a suggestion. Commander, I have an idea. Go ahead, Mark. Well, if I could find something sharp in here and. Poke a hole in the glove of my EVA suit. I could use the escaping air as a thruster and, and fly towards you. It would be easy to control because it'd be on my arm. I can't see you have any control if you did that. You'd be eyeballing the intercept using a thrust vector you can barely control. Yes, yes, I, those are all very good points. But consider this. 
I'd get to fly around like Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. So he actually does that. So yeah, you, and that's he, the thing. He, he goes, let's go Iron Man. Let's do it. Let's go Iron Man. But he's the and, other and, she, and she's proven right because when he does it, he goes like an idiot yeah, in, in the goes, middle of his He goes life. crazy. But the other, the other problem they had was they were traveling too fast. Yeah. So they make this crazy decision to blow up part of the ship to slow them down. So that they rig up these explosives at the very front of the ship so that the escaping explosion really is it's like putting on a like a handbrake. Yeah. And you see that when, when the explosion goes off, you see them all leaning forward like as if a dramatic uh, yes. reduction in speed. And that allows them for it allows uh, Commander Lewis to get out and on, on the on their little rescue craft and then shoot out the, the she, she's all strapped in with this big long this big long rope mm. and uh that was really dramatic as well like he he's you could see the desperation thing and he's getting i so, thought it was so, so well fun. acted right because yeah. and shot because it's obviously being done in a kind of zero gravity situation because he's clamoring you're thinking oh he's not going to grab onto it and he doesn't because and then you're thinking there's just a rope there mate What's but happen, you're, talk, yeah. you're talking about a rope in space yeah Here's how it ended. Here's how it turned out. Uh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Way to go, Iron Man. <laughs> so he's back in the ship, and I think he says, "I, I love the line." He said, I, I don't, "He goes, I, I haven't had a shower for two and a half years." So, <laughs> how do you reckon I feel? So uh, here's a scene that is not in the book, the, the final scene where he's back well, on Can Earth. I just say, yeah. I love the fact that it's, that's all you need. We, don't, we didn't need the journey home. We didn't need a whole bunch of download of conversation. You didn't need much back at home. They just, they got him. And then they skipped to, you know, however many days, months or years later. Well, I liked it how, you know, how he was registering his time on Mars. It said Sol 519, Sol. Mm. And then in this day scene, one. it said day one, so back on Earth. And he was uh, lecturing at the Astronaut Candidate Program. Uh, so he was telling them about, telling them about look, uh, you've, you've got to accept what accept what's ha- your, the situation and then get to work. He says, do the math, solve the problem, and then solve the next problem. And then I think the very end he goes, any questions? And the whole class put up their hand. They were, they were the question. So, uh, a really satisfying end of the movie. I and- think it is a really good end. I think it's a really great way to end it because it shows that he's um, he's still part of the the family, um, and he's not bitter and twisted by the experience. He's obviously going to use his knowledge and experience to build uh, the knowledge of the next generation of astronauts. Yeah. It's a really nice way to kind of wrap up. As I say, you could spend 30 minutes building yeah. out what happened on the journey home, relationships with the other astronauts, uh, uh, homecoming. It's not a movie, isn't it? It's another you, – you, but, but you don't need to for this. Long. That's, already, that's what's great about it. What was the movie runtime? About two, two, two hours 20. Or two, two 20, yeah, hours, something so like that, yeah. It's length, so uh, I think it ended on a pretty good note. Let's move into the our favourite quotes, mate. And uh, one of my first favourite lines is this one. Okay. Hello, this is Mark Watney, astronaut. I'm entering this log for the record uh, in case I don't make it. Uh, it is oh, 06.53 on Sol 19 and I'm alive. 
obviously, but I'm guessing that's going to come as a surprise to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world, really. So, surprise. <laughs> surprise. My, this, this next one is, is probably my favorite quote of the movie because we've realized, we know what he does now. And, and he basically sums up in, in a line how he's going to get out of this problem. In the face of overwhelming odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm going to have to science the shit out of this. <laughs> and he does just that. This next line is a really funny one too. Just as they're speculating, oh, can you imagine what he's going through? What is he thinking right now? And then he says this. He thinks he's totally alone. He thinks we gave up on him. I mean, what does that do to a man psychologically? The hell is he thinking right now? I'm definitely gonna die up here. <laughs> to listen to any more god awful disco music. <laughs> that was a nice little recurring theme, recurring little. Even to the very end. Yeah, how uh, she. <laughs> The music taste was terrible and he was stuck with it all. Yeah. Uh, here's another one too. I, I, I like this because it's kind of a reference to another movie within a movie. I, I really like that. What the hell is Project Elrond? I had to make something up. Yeah, but Elrond? Because it's a secret meeting. How do you know that? Why does Elrond mean secret meeting? The Council of Elrond is from Lord of the Rings. It's Lord the meeting where they decide to destroy the one man. It's actually from See, a, novel, a novel made into a movie. But, See, uh, I'm her. In that in that meeting, I'm her. I'm like, what are you talking about? And everyone else in the room's going, dude, have you not seen Lord of the Rings? All the geeks in the room, they thought, you know what, we're gonna call it a Project Elron. Yeah. And the last good quote, I, I like this one. This is sort of something he says late in the film, he makes a realization. Now NASA is an American non-military organization. It owns the HAB. But the second I walk outside, I'm in international waters. So here's the cool part. I'm about to leave for the Scaparelli crater where I'm gonna commandeer the Ares IV lander. Nobody explicitly gave me permission to do this, and they can't until I'm on board the Ares Four. So that means I'm going to be taking a craft over in international waters without permission, which by definition makes me a pirate. <laughs> Mark Watney, space pirate. <laughs> and I think, what was the other one? There was another line he said, he said uh, when he colonized Mars, and he says, in your face, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> so let's move on to the uh, the plot holes. You've already uncovered one, and we kind of there is kind of an explanation for that one about the Mav, the other Mav not tipping over in the storm. But yeah. this plot hole may have explained that as well. Now, the according to scientists, the the atmospheric pressure on Mars is very low. It's like 0.6 percent of Earth's sea level atmospheric pressure. So it's so it's that figure is so low that a storm under those conditions would not be able to blow your hair a hair across. It 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 can't even well, that mess your hair up. That's a pretty big plot hole for the original part of the movie. Yeah, well, the author Andy Weir was the author, and he all the um, of all the questions he was asked, he said that was his probably the biggest inaccuracy of the story uh, because of the low air intensity. Right. Still, that would never happen on Mars. Well, let me let me give you my only other one, which you may or may not cover. Um, it's the GoPros and the amount of recording that's been done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I had that in the Did You Notice? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. 
I, I, if I'm him, I'm forgetting every couple of days to download those SD cards and wipe them and start them up again. But there's GoPros everywhere. There's all, yeah. all little, and different types of cameras on his helmet in the Rover. There's so many cameras. It's like, dude, how much storage have you got? Well, here's something I reckon you would have missed. At the time, GoPro was on board, obviously, right, with yeah. the movie. And when we went to CES in 2016, January yeah. 2016, right, the suit that he wore was on their stand. Ah. So they, they fully embraced it, and it was on the stand at CES at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which we, we're, all gonna, we're heading over there shortly. So you missed out on that one, mate. I, 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 took, I think I've got photos of it. Photos I would have walked straight past it. Yeah, you would have thought, what is that? A wetsuit or something, you would have said. Um, I, this is another funny one, sort of a, a little bit of a plot hole or a mistake. Um, remember when he starts uh, wanting to communicate with the, with the camera, mm. Pathfinder camera, and he sets up the three signs? You know, the one in the middle says, yep. are you Question. receiving me? Yes. Yes or no? Do you reckon he needs the no? Do you reckon if they can't, if you get a point to know? <laughs> so what the fuck? So actually, it would, it would have been funny for them to answer no. They have pointed to no. Oh, you must be able to do it. But for the fact that they could point it to no means that they're coming through. So I thought okay, I'll play that one, yeah. All the smart people at NASA you think, what the hell, you wouldn't come up with that. <laughs> now, another one, and in the in people have pointed out, and he's he claims to be a botanist in this movie, right? Uh, the potatoes he planted... They need to be planted quite deep, uh, at least a foot, so 30 centimetres oh. they need. And there's no way he had a foot depth of soil there. So uh, when they're planted too shallow, according to these experts, if they grow too close to the surface, they get exposed to light and sometimes turn green. Have you ever seen green potatoes? Mm. Don't eat those ones because it's a higher risk of uh, them producing solanine, which is like a toxic poison. So oh, right. uh, a botanist, you think, would know those sorts of things. Yeah, probably. Now, we mentioned the Mav uh, could have tipped over in the, in the weather there, but there was probably like a that, – that was like a little pocket of Mars where the atmospheric pressure was actually accurate, so there probably wasn't a big storm there. Uh, the other thing, too, is the – do you remember what I was telling you near the end there where they had to blow up the front of the ship to slow it down? Mm. Now, if you had – the question was if the crew could create an explosive to be used like a bomb, wouldn't it be safer to use that force as a propellant to slow the ship? As so a, rather, rather than destroying yeah, the rather ship. Rather than blowing up the ship, let's use the force of an explosion outside the ship to slow us down. So I think that was just rather than intentionally damaging. Fair it. observation, yes. So, if you know, if, if probably, you're low on propulsion and fuel yes. and you've got the ability to create some sort of – um, explosion, you should use that as your propulsion. True. That would be an idea. If I'm ever trapped on Mars and that's the thing, I'll be suggesting that. If they have totally. That. Don't blow up your ship. Just do it Let's Do it this way. Right. Uh, things you might not know, Trev, the exterior scenes here were shot at a slower speed, so slightly slower speed to match uh, Mars gravity. Mars gravity is actually 38% of Earth gravity. Right. So that's why he needed to – he couldn't be walking at full speed all the actions that happen outside the hab, you'll notice, is filmed at a slightly slower frame rate. Oh. And to the film was shot at 48 frames per second during the exterior scenes and then slowed down to the standard 24 frames per second. And also the a lot of the audio from outside also had to be recorded in post-production because okay. of that slowdown. Uh, all of the exterior shots 
Where do you think? Do you reckon that was in a studio or out somewhere? No, I think that I think the larger shots were were some sort of landscape somewhere. All of the exterior shots were shot inside the Corda Studios in Hungary. Wow. The the production designer they said he said in the commentary said that they built in they built in Budapest, and it was the biggest at the time. It was the the biggest stage in the world that they could find. But it wasn't just big as in area. It was also quite tall. It was like 20 uh, feet higher than a normal normal stage. So that means they could put up the biggest green screen ever used for a film. So it was wow. a four-walled green screen. So it was enough to put Mark Watney or Matt Damon in the foreground and it seemed as if he's in a vast landscape with the green screen wow. in the background. So pretty, pretty cool uh, effects there. Uh, and and the, the the stage was big enough for him to drive the rover. Remember how is there scenes where he's driving it? So it was big enough for them. Dude, to Dude, where is that the, rover? Yeah, that'd be that'd be good to find that one. It's got to um, be like surely it's on a like set. Oh something. yeah, so it'd be probably in 20th Century Fox's uh, their one of their prop prop uh, prop uh, storage places. Uh, but the, you mentioned the uh, the external long shots. They were shot. Uh, at the in the Wadi Rum Valley in Jordan, it's a desert valley that's several miles long, and it was used actually in another movie set on Mars as well, Red Planet in the year two thousand. Really, a movie set on Mars. They used that same area in Jordan to film as if it's as if it's Mars. Now, do you remember when Rich Purnell? Remember when you said you even mentioned this where he slips, he falls over. He's so he's so anti. Not part of the over. script. Uh, he fell. He when he after he found the rescue mission, uh, and he fell down. That's Donald Glover was the actor. He said that he did slip for real. That he, he got up and just continued. And uh, it Donald Glover's son. Good. Uh, I don't know. Donald Glover. You, you're talking about Danny Glover, Danny. the guy from. So what's it, what's the actor's name? Donald. This is Donald. Is he Glover. Danny Glover's son? I don't know. I don't think oh, okay. so. I'm not sure. I don't I, think when he, I saw his name, I assumed he was. So you think it was Mur- Murtog, Murtog uh, from Lethal Weapon? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Murtog. I know what you're talking about there. Yeah, good on you. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he fell down. I thought, oh, I'm just going to go on with this, and it stayed in the movie. Um, remember the scene where he was reunited, Ma- Matt Damon or Ma- Mark Watney was reunited with the crew? Yeah. And you see him getting emotional? Apparently that was real. He said that the, all the other actors had wrapped long, long ago and gone home. And they had had all the the um, chatter between them was all pre-recorded. So he was by himself for such a long time. And so when when he actually came back with the other actors, that was genuine emotion. He thinking he was really happy to see them again. So oh, wow. it really played into the whole that whole scene. Um, Ridley Scott says Matt Damon's scenes on his own, which is much of the movie, were shot for five weeks straight. Uh, after and after that. Matt Damon was was allowed to he was taken off the schedule so but so he he didn't see a lot of the co-stars when they were filming their scenes and again that that sort of plays into the fact that when they did get together again it was quite an emotional little uh, a little get together a little reunion hmm. now I remember the remember the project Elrond scene this is a little bit of movie inside baseball now okay mm-hmm. because the proposed meeting, you know, it was supposed to be so secret, Project Elrond, after the Council of Elrond in Lord of the Rings. Well, the actor, Sean Bean, who played Mitch, was actually in that scene in <laughs> Lord of the Rings. So he was kind of present during that that council they mentioned in this other movie. So it's, 
Oh no, movies are sort of folding in on top of each other here. Uh, one day, or the memory I was telling you, a soul on yes. Mars is thirty-seven minutes longer than an Earth day. Oh, an Earth, an Earth a day on Mars is thirty-seven minutes longer than an Earth day, so it's like twenty-four and a half hours. Um, so the that means that the uh, human, so the, if humans are to go to Mars, they're going to have to experiment with their circadian rhythm. So because the the cycles of the of the day would vary so much, it could affect their sleep cycles. If they right, uh, th- these are the sort of studies that, that they're thinking of before they send people there, because that that's what they're going to have to adjust to. That wasn't really referred to in the movie, but that's how it went. Uh, one Martian year is also nearly two Earth years because it takes because it's so far further out from the sun. It takes longer to orbit the sun, so a lot further oh. out than Earth. So, uh, it does to take a to complete a lap. It's two Earth years to complete a lap. Uh, the buildings that were shown to be the NASA headquarters and the Chinese Space Center, you think are in two different places. They were actually two of. Uh, can you remember, I was telling you the internal studio scenes were filmed in Budapest. Uh, the they were actually two famous cultural buildings in Budapest that <laughs> were like only three tram stops apart. So it was quite easy to film one, then they go film the other one. They're actually quite quite close. Now, what year do you reckon the movie was set in? Have a guess at the year that we were in. Oh, twenty. According to the author, 40? 2035, the author oh, says it okay. was. So not far off, mate. Uh, I mentioned the controversy about the Golden Globes and the best musical or comedy. <laughs> that was uh, pretty good. Uh, you know Ridley Scott's first choice for Commander Lewis, you know, uh, who was played by Jessica Chastain, who did a great mm. job. His first choice was uh, Australian actress Kate Blanchett. Oh, wow. Kate Blanchett had worked with Ridley Scott on Robin Hood. That was a film he directed with uh, Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett as well. But apparently she had scheduling difficulties and uh, Jessica Chastain stepped in instead. Uh, Matt Damon, remember that scene when you see the skinny Mark Watney walk in? Remember that after yep. seven months? Uh, Matt Damon said, you know what, he was prepared to lose the weight for that scene, but uh, Ridley Scott d- decided against it. So in the end, they they filmed a, a double. They got a perch. Because remember, when you see him so skinny, he's actually coming out of the shower. He's got a towel on his head, so he can't actually see his face. Yeah. That was actually it was actually a uh, a body double was used. So it's instead. not his bum, no, ladies. Not, it's not his skinny body that was used. He although there is another movie called he did called Courage Under Fire, uh, with Denzel Washington. Really good movie that is. That was one of his first movies, and he did uh, fast. He lost a lot of weight for that movie as well. So he he can do it. But Ridley Scott said, "Mate, you know what? On this one, don't worry about it." Uh, the film and the mo- and the book end differently. The oh. the end of the book was the scene where he's rescued into the ship, and that was the, the he then says, "Oh, this is the happiest day of my life," and that was the, that was the end of the book. Wow. The scene on Earth, you know, talking to the students, that was something that they added in for the script. I think it needed it. Yeah. So yeah, his 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 line was, "Oh, this is the happiest day of my life." Mm-hmm. Uh, did you notice? We've already noticed a couple of these. Nate Nate from Ted Lasso. He was uh, he was playing a bit of a bit of a smart ass. Remember when he was talking? He was the guy who was trying to uh, adjust the Pathfinder camera. Yeah. Yep. So he was. He said, "Look, just do it." You remember? He was. If you watch it again, you'll notice he's been a bit of a smart ass. GoPros. You've pointed out as well. There are plenty of those around. He had one in the. He had one in the Rover. He had one in his Hab. Uh, I think there was one on his suit as well. Remember, there was one over yes. his shoulder on the suit. There was so one in that. Yeah, there was a couple in the hab. I mean, there was just they were everywhere. 
The other thing too, um, did you notice early on, remember when he was setting up the solar panels and he used this duster? This, remember he yeah. was blowing them? Why he could have used that in orbit if he had that little, that, that machine, he could have, instead of doing the Iron Man, he could have used the duster. Yeah, but he couldn't help. take anything with him because it was so bloody... Um, well, maybe, maybe, but that could have helped him uh, manoeuvre. It wouldn't have been that heavy. Maybe. Um, the other thing, too, did you notice, this is for your ABBA nerds, right? Remember in the movie when Commander Lewis has a video call with her husband? Yeah. And you know how she's a tragic disco fan and loves all the, yes, the yes. old music. Uh, the husband surprises her with an ABBA album. She goes, look what I found at the markets. It's a first pressing yes. of the ABBA album. But if you look, if you pause the, the the pause the frame, you can actually see the track list on it. Mm. And apparently, the cover of the of the album he's holding up shows that Fernando is the top of the track list. But apparently, the first pressing didn't have Fernando as the first uh, uh, track; it had it as a bonus track. Man, some he's people telling, he's telling tips. Yeah, he's uh, way too what much. He, what he had was actually a second pressing. So. <laughs> Lying to his wife, mate. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the show, mate. Uh, I'd like to know your now that you've seen it finally from start to finish, and not just the good bits for your TV reviews. Mm. What do you think of this movie? Your wrap up and your rating. Look, I'm a big fan. I really enjoy the storyline. Um, as I said, I definitely want to watch this with my family. I'm not sure Harriet. Uh, Are you watch this with with, um, with Victoria? Yep, I would. Do you don't yep. think it would scare her? Like, if, if that's think, what astronauts do, I don't want to be an astronaut. She's always asking, is this a scary – I don't like scary movies. But yeah. if she wants to be an astronaut, then she needs to know this. I think this is a really the good – I think it's a really good thing that shows that whole problem-solving, the, the amazing things that can be done. Because even though it's scary, it also shows the amount of resource that goes into it. So – yeah, I love it. I think it's a really good movie. Um, I love the the storyline. I love how much of you know Matt Damon is it, there is in it. It really shows. It's it's a great movie for him. It's a nine out of ten for me, mate. Solid. Yeah, I I I agree. It's a it's a solid nine for me as well. And I I do like the fact that it's very faithful to the book. The book. Right. Uh, if you if you read the book and then see the movie, it really there's only a couple of little funny things in the book that he leaves out the, in the script. So I think right. Drew Goddard wrote wrote the script, adapted the book for the screenplay, and uh, so I uh, he was nominated too for best adapted screenplay for his ad- adaptation. So right. did a great job translating. I think that that's the thing, especially if it's a bestseller. The the worst thing about seeing a book that you liked and portrayed on the screen is if it's not faithful to it or it changes too much of it. Right. So this, I think, the people who read the book, like myself, were I was very happy with the screen adaptation. So uh, you are a big knock for the me. old screen adaptation, aren't you? Big tick for me for The Martian. Now next week, Trev, we yeah. are talking about. We're going to tell people, are we? We're going to tell people. Yes, we are. We're going okay. to talk our next. We always preview our next show. Oh, no, it's special though, that's movie, all special. which is which we, we, we which will be released on Christmas Eve. Yes. So get ready for Die Hard, which I think appropriately is released around Christmas time. We're going to get into that on the show. But the question I've got for you, Trev, is the star of the Die Hard is Bruce Willis. Yes, correct. Before he was an actor, what was his job? Was it A, a bartender, B, a carpenter? C, a waiter, or D, 
a used car salesman. I'll read Carpenter. Carpenter. That's actually wrong. He was a bartender. Oh. And he got the role of the well, – he was first starring in a TV show called Moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd, And he yes. was a bit of a controversial choice for Die Hard. Uh, but before he was Moonlighting, he was a bartender. So there you go. Sorry, mate. You got that wrong. We'll find Never out mind. a lot more about Die Hard, a, what I regard as a Christmas movie. Still we'll discuss Christmas that. Movie. But Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis, is our next movie on the best movies you've never seen. And if you don't want to take the last exit before the freeway – you would want to watch this, watch it on Fetch, watch it on your Hisense TV as well. So we'd love you to join us next week. See you then, mate. Look forward to it.